Hey everybody, welcome into episode number 95 of the Curtain Call Podcast. It's a production of the Yes Network. He is Yes Network President of Production and Programming and Executive Producer John J. Filippelli. I'm Justin Shackle. We have producer Dan Pasone with us as well. And if you are not already doing so, subscribe to the podcast. That way you never miss the latest episode of the Curtain Call Podcast. And John, I have to start something way off topic here. So Sunday night, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton are at Madison Square Garden walking Drake out to begin his concert at MSG. And of all people, for whatever reason here, I'm thinking of you, probably because I knew we had to record this the next very morning. So uh, I wondered, what is the best concert that John J. Filippelli has ever attended? What do you have for us? Well, I have a confession to make. I was kind of an Allman Brothers freak growing up. So I probably saw the Allman Brothers. I'm going to ballpark this just so I could make throw another metaphor and then it makes no sense. Uh, I'm going to ballpark this and say I saw the Allman Brothers 50 times. It was a lot of times to see anybody. Uh, I used to love going to concerts in my younger years. I saw the Rolling Stones. I saw Elton John. I saw obviously Springsteen a lot of times. Uh, the best concert... Wow. I mean, it, it would probably be Allman Brothers related, I'm sure. I saw them so many times and I love seeing them. So uh, I would say them. the Eagles I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of great concerts. It's hard to say which one uh, I would say the best of them that I've ever seen. Uh, I recently saw Springsteen and uh, I hadn't seen him in a, in a long time. And I thought he was he, he had like a 20 piece band with him and they were unbelievable. Because his songs lend themselves to you know to kind of orchestral depth, if you will, in some cases, and and I thought he was his he he his energy, his voice, his uh, the presence of the band, and how good they were across the board, and, and plus the, the additional pieces that they added, they were in total sync. I, I thought that was as good as I've heard any band at any time. Springsteen's so. phenomenal. Got to back up though. How old were you at your first Allman Brothers concert? And how old are you in your last? Since you said you saw saw them around fifty times, uh, I would say when I first saw them, let's see, I was probably about twenty years old. And the last time I saw them, I mean, I hadn't seen them in probably the last ten years. I mean, the different incarna- incarnations. A lot of band, band members passed away through a very a number of different reasons. A lot passed away, but uh, I would say the last time I saw them was ten years ago. Now, they're not in existence anymore per se, other than the name. But so, different incarnations of John Filippelli attending yes, those concerts, I'm yes. sure. But, but hearing a lot of the same songs. Right. Just played a little differently. Yeah. Wow. Big live That's band, cool. really great live band. I mean, you could they could jam for hours. They were great. And the thing that made them so great is that that was the first band I was cognizant of that had two drummers, two lead guitarists, you know, and, and they could play note for note in sync with each other. Mm-hmm. Think about that. You know, and they, and they played very complicated songs. So uh, and 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 Greg Allman was really good at uh, at all the things that Greg Allman did. So and so they were great. They were great to listen to. And uh, yeah, different part, but they mean a lot to me for a lot of different reasons, personal and professional. Okay. Now, uh, one more before we get to the meat and potatoes of of our episode here. Uh, coolest concert venue that you've attended or been to? The coolest place I ever saw a concert. Yeah. Uh, I still love, I mean, since I didn't go, I actually had a ticket for Woodstock. So it got me a ticket, but I, I wasn't able to attend it. I didn't go. Um, and I have, I still have a ticket in my office here at home for Powder Ridge, 
which was the next big live concert after Woodstock. And they they collected a lot of money and they never had the concert. So, but I had that ticket, which anybody interested in getting it for me, we can have a conversation. So if you would find me, if you want to get that, secure that ticket to Powder Ridge. Um, I still think the garden is a great place to mm-hmm. see a concert. It just is. I've seen it Clapton. I can't, I've heard Clapton probably 10, 12 times. Love seeing him as well. I mean, so Clapton was great too. The Stones are great. I mean, there's, there's a lot of great people out there, a lot of great performers out there. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, great yeah. too. You know, depends on what your style of music is. I mean, yeah. I, I, I was I unfamiliar with Powder Ridge. Yeah, they, they literally just took the money and ran? Yeah, they did. I mean, and, and it was no, like, they collected the money and then it was like, they just ran away. And I was in it. <laughs> it was, there weren't like venues in place. There weren't like uh, mechanisms in place for you to sue and get your money back and do whatever. Plus, right. it wasn't much money. It was like, I think it was $20 for a three day pass to, uh, to, to Powder Ridge. So there you go. That's but a, that's that, a Netflix documentary that needs to be made. People need to learn more about Powder Ridge. You know, I, every night I go to sleep, I say to myself, I wish that that had happened to me because it would have transformed. It would have been a transformative experience in my life. Every you know? night, every night before you go to sleep, you think about Powder Ridge. Yes, I do because that shows you the emptiness of my life in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> that I need something to fill the space in my life up. But uh, no, I'm just saying that. It, I mean, it, it was part of a, it's part of an era. You know, it's like a, the music was in a certain place. You know, in the in the early '70s. You know, that uh, that made it. Uh, you know, something very special. And there were a lot of great acts that acts that became legendary, 60s too, late 60s, mm-hmm. early 70s, legendary acts that, you know, that the, the depth of, of talent out there was like, uh, was kind of unmatched. You know, you go through the eras now, you put the music now, music now is the music now. You know, I, I'm not really into a whole lot of it. Although I think Taylor Swift is interesting. I would have liked to see her, but I mean, you get one of those tickets, try getting a Taylor Swift ticket. Right. You want a traffic jam, you know, say Taylor Swift is going to hold a concert here. Yeah, it's a phenomenon. And uh, Taylor Swift had, uh, I guess, a, a direct influence on the Yankees completing a sweep of the Royals over the weekend. Anthony Rizzo changing up his walk-up music, and he attributed part of it to Taylor Swift. Uh, so let's get to the Yankees here. They have two more games in uh, the portion of their schedule that I've kind of phrased as their fattening stretch. You know, a, a period where they could bank some wins, fatten the win column. But uh, aside from a four-game series with the Orioles in which they had a chance to win and ultimately split, the Yankees have played last place Oakland, last place St. Louis, last place Colorado, last place Kansas City, uh, a Cubs team below 500, an Angels team that at the start of the series was below 500. They've hovered around 500. And through that entire stretch, the Yankees have gone 10 and 12. And the quality of play for most of that span has been disappointing, John. They took care of business by sweeping the Royals, but they are on the outside looking in at the playoff picture, and their schedule is never going to be easier than what it just was. So give us a reason why it will turn around for the Yankees. Well, let's first of all, let's look at the Royals series. If you really take a really close look at it, the Royals are, can make an argument that they are the worst team in baseball. I mean, there are a couple of other teams with them, I mean, the A's certainly are uh, a, a not a very good baseball team. The Rockies are not a very good baseball team. But but at the end of the day, right with them, right with them are the Kansas City Royals. And yet, you could make a case that the, the Royals could have won two of the three games. I mean, the, the Yankees, they were not, they were not, the Yankees didn't play well for these games. Yes, they had a big day yesterday offensively. Rizzo had a, finally came out of his funk that he was in, you know, went four for four, you had a big day. Yankees scored some runs. But, you know, look who they scored them off of. 
I mean, uh, you're talking about a guy that was uh, like one in 12. Well, at the end of the he lost, so he was one in 12. We always won 11. With an ERA of seven or eight or six or eight, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever it was. It was huge. Okay. Uh, so, and they scored runs early, which they hadn't done. So it's kind of a uh, sort of a, uh, an aberration, if you will look at it. And say, well, it's an offensive aberration. Yes, it was important that they score runs. Yes, it was important they win these games. Yes, it was important that that certainly that Rizzo come out of the, the funk that he's been in, no doubt. And this was certainly a a, a lot of medicine that will help him, uh, the, the, help the Yankees go where they need to go, because you can't win ten games or eight of ten or seven of ten without winning one, or winning two or winning three. So the fact that they were able to right the ship and finally get a sweep against the team that they're supposed to beat is a real, it's a good sign. Because, you know, listen, the alternative would not have been good. Things have not been great uh, around the Yankees lately. So the Yankees needed to right the ship or at least start to right the ship. The ship isn't righted, but they're starting to. You know, and also you know, now you look where in the wild card standings and they're only two out of the last wild card spot. And you've got a third of the season left to play. There's plenty of games left. But then hopefully every day, and we'll get to Aaron Judge at some point here about what Judge has been doing. But, you know, certainly with the, with the Judge, hopefully on the horizon, I don't know what the horizon really means. There's short horizons and long horizons. I don't know exactly which horizon we're talking about. But let's just say that you will hopefully see him before too much time goes on. Hopefully, hopefully, if that's the case, the Yankees have a lot of reasons to be optimistic. And, you know, about at least make, making the playoffs. Okay, which you can't because you can't win anything if you make the playoffs. So you got to make the playoffs. And I think that what the way you look at the schedule now going forward is, yeah, there's some challenging teams on the schedule. And I wouldn't dismiss the Mets only because it's the Subway Series and it's bragging rights. And, you know, the Mets are not playing for a whole lot lately. They, they lost two out of three of the weekend against the Red Sox. They're in a precarious spot. They're seven and a half out of their last wild card. They're not playing particularly well. They don't have the pitching either. They have a lot of issues. So, you know, if they could hurt the Yankees, I'm sure that would give them some measure of satisfaction. So they're not a layup. Okay. Okay. That's one. But then you've got, you've got teams like you got the Orioles, you've got Houston on the horizon, you got Toronto on the horizon. These, these are teams the Yankees are going to have to beat. And these are, these are, these are good baseball teams. So, you know, the challenges are there, um, you know, in terms of what they do at the deadline, we'll talk about that at some point here too. But, but honestly, I think it was important that they you have to win some games before you. If you don't win any, you got to win some. So they went out and at least they they swept who they needed to sweep, and hopefully they could do some damage against the Mets. And then they, then they've got a chance to they got to play some tough teams. But in those head to heads, you could pick up a lot of ground. Yeah, they they took care of business. That's all they did with this Royal series this That's weekend, right. and it's something right. that I think a lot of people were waiting for them to do during the stretch that I ripped off uh, a moment ago, but. With that comes, like you said, a starting point for players like Rizzo and Stanton and DJ LeMahieu, who has looked different over the last eight to ten games. That's all we, you could chalk it up to. He's just looked different. He's improved. So those three players Sean have been Casey. under the microscope. Go Sean, ahead. Sean Casey is, I think, is up. Yeah, uh, and we're going to get to Sean and Andy Pettit in his addition yes. in uh, in a couple moments. But you you talk about how. Now on the schedule, you're going to have the Red Sox. You're going to have, uh, you know, coming up uh, closer, the Rays, the Astros, the Orioles. Like you said, teams that the Yankees can really chop off some uh, some of the deficit in the standings with, the head-to-head matchups. You may have your opinion on what the Yankees are. Bottom line is, that's th- these are the teams that, you know, you have a chance to slice off some of that deficit with. This is why you play. This is why you compete. So, I know a lot of fans are sick of and tired of hearing 
Aaron Boone saying things like it's all right there in front of us, but that's the reality right now because if you take care of business against those teams, and I think a lot of people are going to be shocked by this, the Yankees actually have a winning record against teams who are at or above 500 this season. So maybe they rise up, maybe they figure it out. This series against the Royals where Anthony Rizzo finally snapped out of the funk, where we saw continuing progress from DJ LeMahieu, from Giancarlo Stanton. Maybe it is the starting point for these head-to-head matchups against the teams that are currently in those playoff positions. But the offense has been the focal point. And something that really strikes me as odd, John, is the fact that Aaron Judge has now missed more than half of the season for the Yankees. He's missed 51%. And yet, he is still leading the team in home runs. He's third in RBIs, and he led in that category up until a few days ago. He's second in walks, John. So do you chalk this up to good players collectively going through some of the worst slumps of their respective careers, players we were mentioning, the Rizzos, the LeMahieu's, or is it something that has systemically gone awry this year? That's an interesting question. That's a really interesting question. Uh, look, anytime you're talking about, if you want to use the word championship, at least certainly championship aspirations, if you want to talk about championship aspirations, certainly the Yankees go into the season, and they have them. They, you know, Any good organization, any good team, decent team, is going to have those aspirations. Now, whether they actually reach maturation is, is a whole other subject. But but the reality is going into the season, the Yankees certainly look at it and say they have a good chance to be a playoff team at the very least. And they have a chance to, you know, if everything breaks right for them, they have a chance to win. The key to that is if everything breaks right. Well, losing Aaron Judge is not is not breaking right. We keep having a, 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 a situation in left field where there's been a sort of a, uh, a it's been like a, 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 a sort of a rob, revolving door of people playing left field. That's not everything breaking right. Having you know uh, two catchers and now, now one's gone for the season and and you know and then they they certainly can catch the ball. There are things that they bring to the table, no doubt. But but they don't bring a lot of offense to the table. So that's not everything breaking right. I mean, we could do this. We could do this all day. In terms of, and you know we talked about Yankee pitching bullpen too. You, you go into it, a lot of people thinking Yankees have this great bullpen. You know, and I've said this from the beginning. This is not. This was not something I just came to a conclusion of. I thought the Yankees have an interesting bullpen. I think they're actually pretty good. I don't love them at the end because I don't think they have a lockdown at the end. They're too inconsistent. Uh, but I do, you know, and I said this. I've said this from the very beginning. When everybody was saying the Yankee bullpen is their strength, I've said, you know what? It's not that they're bad. They're not a bad bullpen. It's just that I don't know when push comes to shove. It's certainly they're not They're not a case closed lockdown pen. And the fact that they haven't gotten innings from their starters has just put a burden on that pen. That now you're starting to see the leakage in it because of the innings pitch, the volume of work that they're getting, and because they're getting because the starters, other than Cole, just don't go deep into games. And you know, are, are guys capable of doing more innings? In some cases, yes, and they're you know, they're, but they're not being used that way. So there's a lot of there's a lot of questions about bullpen usage and construction of the team and things that people sit there and say, well, that's the reason the Yankees aren't doing this, so that's the reason the Yankees aren't doing that. You know, and you say you're going to get help. We need help in certain places, right? We talk about that. Well, where exactly are you going to get help? There are places like there are, we'll talk about this in depth in a minute or so, I would suspect, right? But, you know, there are players out there that you could get that could help you, but nobody's giving you those players. 
you have to go get them and you have to have things to trade for those players. And that to me is going to be the most interesting part of the, I, the Yankees. I don't see them in any way being sellers. They're not because they're in this thing and they had a chance to maybe do it and maybe do some damage. If everything breaks right for them going forward, if everything breaks right for them, that's the key here. So I don't know. There's something we, uh, but they definitely have definite needs and there are players out there that can help them. But what do you have? What it takes to get those players is the real question. All right, let's break this down, I guess, by going over some answers that you can have uh, internally and externally. And and internally, I'm not even talking about players. Uh, Let's talk about what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. We've seen Sean Casey, like you mentioned moments ago, added to the field staff. Andy Pettit has been added as an advisor, and it sounds like he's going to be hopping in and out with the field staff for the rest of the season. Aaron Boone saying after Sunday's game, hey, there's always going to be a seat on the plane for Andy this year. That's two former players added to a staff that only had two former big leaguers on it at the start of the season, Aaron Boone and Brad Wilkerson. So what do you think this means in terms of how this team is led in terms by its voices? Uh, I don't know if you could, you could call it, I don't know that you wouldn't call it this, kind of a little bit of a shift in organizational philosophy. I think that I think the Yankees are coming to a conclusion that, you know, look, I'm not saying that the people that they have are not up to their job. I'm not, I'm not remotely suggesting that. What I am saying is that you cannot dismiss the talent in evidence of some of the former players that the Yankees have had through the years, whether they be on the, whatever side of the ball you want to pick, whether pitchers or the, you know hitters or whatever. They've had obviously great success, great pedigree of players, great success, and you know, and and they have not availed themselves in recent years of those players. Those players are there; they're out there. And again, this is not. I'm not saying they they are in lieu of, they are in lieu of uh, what the people that they have. In some cases, it's an addendum. Like the Yankees have two general managers in waiting besides Brian Cashman, two guys who've been general managers before and been very successful. I'm not advocating replacing Brian Cashman. I am advocating that, you know, they use those GMs in a way that former GMs in a way that makes them stronger. And I think that the Yankees are doing that. And I think they have certain responsibilities for, you know, uh, for whether it be Sabian or or Omar Minaya. Then I think that they they will getting, you know, different kind of responsibilities they've had before where they're being utilized in a way that really does help the Yankees. So, you know, I think they're looking at, and the same thing goes with talent and the organization. Former players in the organization really weren't used much before. They're there. They want to be involved. And the Yankees are smart to let them be involved because, again, not in lieu of people, but as addendum to the people that they have. Because there's some very good people in the organization and there's some great people outside the organization, too, that they need to avail themselves of. One of them is Andy Pettit. You know, there there are people sitting out there who can absolutely help. Mariano Rivera sitting there. Can Mariano Rivera be some help to the Yankees? If, if Holmes or, or, or King are struggling, don't you think Mariano Rivera has got something to say that might be interesting? I mean, I'd certainly listen to him, right? So I'm just saying, I'm not saying that they don't listen to him. I mean, Derek Jeter is is around. I mean, there are, there are and again, I don't know if these conversations have been held. I don't know if the, what the, 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 the full interest in is in, on, on the other side, too, some of the players, too. You know, do, do they, if you, you know, Derek or these other guys, I mean, they're very busy, got other things going on. Can they squeeze? The, I don't know. That's something that's nothing that's not my area of expertise. And I don't want to jump into something. I really don't want to talk about things that I shouldn't be talking about. But at the end of the day, you, you any, any look, when you're struggling and you're looking for answers 
and you see people in front of you who know who've been through this before and and and, and have the real respect of a lot of players, you'd be foolish not to take advantage of those assets. They are assets. They are sitting there. They are for you. You need to take advantage of them. You should take advantage. Well, let me just correct myself really quick. Boone and Wilkerson were not the only two on the opening day coaching staff that had big league experience. Mike harkey has been there. Travis Chapman there as well. But sometimes those assets uh, are able to simplify and deliver the message the, the best way possible for the current players. So it's going to be interesting to see how Andy Pettit is utilized down the stretch um, moving forward here. All right, let's think about some external answers. Trade deadline, one week away now. Will the next seven days affect how the Yankees approach the deadline? Or I know you mentioned it before, you don't envision them selling, but are they all in on buying? Depends. I mean, it depends on, I think they could be, but, but again, you know, it's when you say buying, you really can't go out and because of the laws of the game, right? You can't go out and say, I'm, I will pay you $20 million for this player. I will pay for the, so you're not doing that. It's, I mean, in some cases it's about contracts you're picking up. So you have to have money to pick up contracts. I, I, I will concede that, but ultimately it's really about what do you willing, what do you have on your roster in terms of talent that you could either trade or minor league, you know, uh, prospects that you, other teams find really desirable that will get you what you need. What the, let's start with identifying the Yankee needs. There, there, there's multiple needs. They certainly need a left-handed hitting hitter. That made a couple of them probably. We've talked about again from the beginning. Too many righties on this team, so they really need to be. They need to be. They need to find balance from from the the port port the port side. Right, that would be lefty port side. So yes, it they, would. They need to find like a port side kind of power, especially taking advantage of the porch in the stadium, which would be very helpful. And also to help them because you need to have balance in a lineup. So the Yankees need they need left-handed power. Cody Bellinger is left-handed power. Now, and the Cubs look at where they are. The Cubs are struggling to be a, to, to be the last wild card. They're not in a great position, about five or six out. You know, it's not the it's, there is a chance, but it's the way they played the whole year. They, they really not had a, a real good run in them. I don't know if they have one in them. They're definitely sellers, I would say. That would be my guess. Let's let's call it what it is with the Cubs. They picked up players like Bellinger and even a Stroman like during the offseason to load up for this very moment. They knew where they were at in their position of progress. It would be malpractice for them to not – a team under 500 it would be malpractice for them to believe that they can really make a run into the postseason. You can really do yourself some good – by selling these players at this moment. That's probably true. Uh, so, but again, not to dispute that point, I'm not, you, you're right. But regardless, okay, so th- they will look to sell. So, and they're, they're, and you know, the Cardinals are obviously not having a good year. They, they right. will look to, there are teams out there you could just look at. The, the, the harder ones are the, you know, like if you're the Padres, what do you do? They've not had, a, they mean, not having a good year at all. Uh, the chances of them making the playoffs, I mean, it's possible if they can go on a run. They got a lot of talent on it. There's so much talent, but but a lot of that talent now is is negated by the fact of you know the Padres in a television contract. Part of the you know the the, the teams that have had unfortunately had the had the you know paid a lot of money for their rights, and those rights now have uh, you know the, the teams could uh, the uh, the rights holders couldn't make the payments, and you know them they now reverted back to the ownership. Major League Baseball is now running them, so. What are you going to? I mean, so there's three or four teams like that. There might be more, 
so the finances certainly enter, enter into this as something. So the, what do you do? Also, you- also with the Padres, I, I hate to interject, the TV situation is huge. And all you keep hearing within the league and from people from the Padres themselves this season is that that clubhouse has never really gelled. So you have gobs of talent. You got to figure out which ones are the good pieces to keep. So I think this is an opportunity for them to maybe weed out the personnel that's preventing this clubhouse from gelling. Yeah. And also look at the finances of it because they've got yeah. guys not making a lot of money in a couple of cases that, you know, can they move those contracts or do they have to move a lesser contract to move the bigger contracts that have the money attached to them? You know, so that, I mean, there's a lot of things for them to consider, but they're just certainly one, one, one of the teams that you're talking about here. So, I mean, you know, look, I don't think the Yankees are getting Otani. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really see that. I don't see it at all. Do you um, see the Angels selling? You know, in some weird way, I don't. I don't. Um, I, I think that he's never said. Uh, at least, I mean, I don't know what exactly the depth of which Otani's talked about his future or what he wants to do. I think he's kept it pretty close to the best. But there's been a lot of speculation it would be the West Coast because he loves the West Coast as opposed to the East Coast because closer to Japan. There's been a lot of speculation about that. So if let me put it this way. If you look at the teams that he on the West Coast, where he would go, where he wouldn't go, why would he not want to stay with the – the only reason for him not to want to stay with the Angels is that the Angels don't have not really shown that they could be strong contenders. I think at some point you have to look at it and say, who gives me a really good chance to have a sustainable postseasons? And the Angels haven't shown that because they don't they've have not had the kind of teams that you find themselves in the playoffs every year. I don't really know, you know, what's in his head or what's in the people who manage him or how they deal with it. I don't know. I can't I can't answer that. Other than to say that, but I do think the Angels might have a shot of keeping it. If not, I think it would be a really bad. I don't. I just don't see them turning around and saying we'll flip them for prospects. They could. They could easily do that. But I just don't. For some reason, strange reason, I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think so. I may be the only one who thinks that, but that I do. I think. Uh, I think he realistically could stay with the Angels for the rest of the season, and if he's really committed to the West Coast and wants to be part of a winning environment, there's only one team on the West Coast that consistently is a winner. That's the Dodgers. So that that would make them the favorites. I think if you're an East Coast team, you know, if you are uh, you know, a, a club like the Yankees or the Mets or the Red Sox or the Braves, you know, an East Coast power that is, you know, on the in the conversation of being consistent winners. The trade deadline here might be your best bet in terms of keeping him long term because you can show him for two months just what it is all about in your respective city. But hey, the Angels, you know, they have to play and they have to dance here. Uh, they have to take the dance floor in this situation too. So yeah, I mean, um, if I'm Otani, what the the reason, the only reason that I would say that I don't want to be there is because he likes it there. But it would yeah. be they can't they can't. They don't find the postseason enough, mm-hmm. and they not be able to showcase his talents in the postseason. And the Dodgers certainly gave him that. The Dodgers cleared a lot of contracts, money, you know, last the end of last uh, off season, with the idea of you know maybe looking at this as a potential signing for sure. I mean, this is not something that just came into their heads. I'm sure they very much like him, and they have the resources to do it. Mm-hmm. Does he want to be a Dodger? You know, all all indication you know, he would certainly entertain it. But the Giants, why are the Giants out of this? Giants could certainly you know, uh, if, if I'm him, that's a certain team that. Would interest me, you know. They're getting, they've had, a, you know, they're getting better. 
And, you know, they're not where they want to be, but I think that as an organization, they've got one of the best organizations in baseball, the Giants, and they seem to figure things out pretty quickly. So, right. you know, that's something you can entertain. Look at Seattle. You know, yeah. you're talking about Seattle. I mean, Seattle's a team with a lot of talent. You know, would Otani help them? I mean, they've not, they've not had a great year to this point, Seattle, but they have a lot of talent and, and could easily take flip a switch and all of a sudden, you know, be one of the better teams in the game. So, anyway. Yeah, well, I'm sure we're going to be talking about Otani a lot at this time. Next week, when the trade yes. line approaches, yeah, right, left-handed power, left-handed power for the Yankees, and boy, would he fit that. But uh, other needs, rotation help, bullpen yes. help. What do you think? Well, certainly, Yankees need some stabilization at the at the end of the game. Uh, you know, they've uh, the guys that they have are, are quality relievers. I'm not questioning. I'm not saying they're not, but they don't have. I mean, you know, obviously nobody will be mobile. I mean, that's that's really not in the road you want to go down because there's no mows, uh, no mows, no mow anymore. But the, uh, but the, uh, you know, like a, like a, like a Chapman, for instance. You know, Chapman was was really good until he wasn't really good. Now he's really good again. Now he's really good again. But I'm not, and I don't really don't see Yankees going down that road because it was just a bad way to exit, and I don't think that's where they want to go, and I don't think they will do that. But but having said that, you've got to look who's out there that will give me a quality reliever who could have really help me at the end of the game. And, and if he did that, then you could take the guys who are pitching at the end of the game and put, put them back to sort of the end of middle, the end of the middle, if you will, or the beginning of the end. And that becomes stronger by their presence there. So the Yankees could absolutely use another reliever for sure, but they could use a starter too, uh, a strong starter. And, but everybody else could use starters too. And again, because you need those, you need those, those you have those needs. But what do you have? That, what chip can you give that's going to satisfy what you need to get players like that? That's the bigger question to me. Who do they have that they trade other teams want? You know, Glaber Torres. Glaber Torres is a trade chip. I think he is. He's mm -hmm. a trade chip. They want to move him. You do that. You know, they they have they have assets they can move. You have some pitchers you could move if you want to. I don't know if they want to do that, but, but you look at they have three big prospects in the minors, three big prospects. You want to move one of them, or you want two of them, or three of them. You, you know, if you're looking in the case of trying to get a like a Soto, for instance, I don't know if they get it, but they certainly we should look at it. Uh, you know, who do you have to trade? It isn't that simple. Like you know, you know, you know I'll give you this one or this one. No, you, these these are quality players who everybody's going to want, but you have to have the chips to trade them. You know, if you if I'm the Orioles or the or the the Tampa Bay team at this point. You know, and, and 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 you know, you're coming to a point. You have third of the season left, and I got a chance to maybe really do some real October damage if I could fill a spot, a power spot, or an arm spot, a pitching spot, depending on what my what their what those teams with their respective needs are. Man, I got I would have to think about it, mm -hmm. and with the farm systems being so deep, ah, uh, you know what they got what it takes. Yep. You know, so you know, but do do they want to do that? I don't know, but but. But how about the Orioles? The Orioles have so much talent. I mean, I could see them making a move. I could see the Rays doing it too. I think the Orioles and the Rays make the most sense for a potential Otani deal. I think it would make too much sense for them to not do that based on the types of seasons that they're having, this moment in time for those franchises. That would put them over the top. I mean, could you imagine uh, a Soto and Josh Hader going to Baltimore? And you have a three-headed monster in the back of that bullpen at the end of games with Cano, Bautista, and Hayter. I mean, that's absurd. And then you have Soto in the middle of the lineup as well. That puts them over the top in that regard. So I think I think if you're talking about end of game 
relievers for the Yankees. There's there's the haters. There's the Jordan Hicks, the Bednars from the from the Pirates. We know the Yankees and Pirates have made deals with relievers in the past. You also have Jonathan Lewiska coming back. Yes. So that lengthens the that? bullpen. That's an internal answer right there. Uh, is it enough? I I think you can have that debate. Uh, it'd be a fun debate to have. There's probably no wrong answers or right answers there. Health. But health. Yeah. If Lewisica could come back and be the Lewisica he was when he was dominant, which he was, mm-hmm. you know, before he got before, before the series of injuries that he's had, he was great. I mean, if he if he could come back and be that Lewisica, boy, that's that's yeah. that mitigates any need for the Yankees to go and get anybody else. Mm-hmm. Right they, they don't need to add a reliever. If you if if the, if Lewisica comes back and it's could be Lewisica of old or some some semblance of it, I, the Yankees don't have to go there. Right. All right. We've. We've touched on this a little bit, but let's answer it directly before we close up shop here, because it does feel like there are a lot of teams trying to just make it to the deadline seven days away, and they'll make their decision 24 to 48 hours before the deadline strikes about which way they are going to go, whether they'll go for it, become buyers, become sellers. Which teams do you think are fooling themselves at this point, John? And the decision's already been made up for them. They just haven't realized it yet. Um, it's interesting because you really can't – I mean, everybody ruled the Red Sox out at the beginning of the season. And, and you know, and I understand why they would. I mean, they, 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 I think by their own admission, by the, the deals they made in the offseason or, or lack of deals they made in the offseason, I think they were prepared just to sit it out and rebuild. You know, start to you know what they've done in the past. They've done this before, uh, so but you look at them now and it's like, look, I'm not saying they're going to win anything. I don't know that they'll, they'll make a playoffs. They may not, but they're above 500, and you know they could score runs. They could certainly do that. I don't know if they have enough pitching to 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 win, but and they're certainly their defense is terrible. I mean, they've always defensive teams I've seen in a long time. So I don't really see them as whatever. But everybody else in the American League East certainly is is in play for something. So you know you can't you look at the you look at the the, the central honestly it, the Twins have the, have the best team and behind them a lot of teams below five hundred so I don't really see although you, could the Guardians do something it's possible but I, I I think they're fooling themselves I think they're all fooling themselves you go out in the West you know it's it's the, honestly to me it's one of, obviously it's one or two teams in the West you know so you know we, 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 and 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 the one that doesn't win the division is there enough there for them to be a wild card the answer is possibly so they're not fooling themselves so i think that i think the american league at least we're talking into the context of the american league i i think that uh you know you got everybody in the east and you've got and you've got a team out in west one one one's going to win one's going to be a wild card so or could be a wild card so the wild card race is really there and it's probably about five teams what five teams have a real shot at this? I, I don't know who's fooling themselves in America. You think who do you see in America could be fooling themselves? I think at this point, and it pains me to say because I really had high hopes for them before the start of the season. The Mariners are fooling themselves at this oh, point. I think there's yeah, a few okay. teams too in front of them, though they're pitching they're below staff- 500. They're below 500, though. They're they're hovering right now. Right now, at the time we're recording, they're <laughs> one game above 500. But hey, that could change by by Wednesday. Okay. Uh, the Angels and yeah. I. No. I well, want to say they're fooling themselves, but that's just based on recent history. But I, do you really see the see do you see the Angels as putting having a sustained run of them? No, I don't see them knocking off the Yankees and the Red Sox and the you know the Blue Jays as as a team that's going to grab that that final wild card spot. No, and by so, the way, if they if they believe that as an organization, then why would you hold on to Otani? 
I agree. You know, I, I, if I'm, look, I'm all for, for selling him. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, moving, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, look, there's an argument there for sure. Yeah. I, I said it wasn't, but but I don't. But something tells me if they think at all that they even have have a puncher's chance of signing him, that they obviously they're not going to move him. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think it's a bad optic for them to do that. And you know, could, but you're right; they could get a lot for him, especially from Baltimore or Tampa Bay. Who yeah. really has a deep farm system, could give them several prospects that could really help them for sure. Uh, so it's it's going to be an interesting discussion. I just something tells me I just can't see them moving him. Though. I don't because maybe because he's been such a such a he's such a global presence. I don't, I don't maybe the business side of me. This is escaping me. I don't Do know. your business without your heart. Yeah, no, it's true. Do no, your business no. without your heart uh, in the National League. Look, the I, I think all the wild card teams are right there. I don't see them moving anywhere. Talk about the Reds, the D-backs, the Giants, the Phillies. The Marlins are kind of in a tailspin right now at the worst time possible. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want to call them. Yeah. Do do I see them making the playoffs? No. Do I want to give them the benefit of the doubt at this moment in time in late July? Yeah. But I don't want to. I don't want to completely rule them out. But in terms no, of teams that are pulling themselves, we know yeah, yeah, they are a pretender. Yeah. Uh, but I don't want to group them in, though, with teams. And I'm about to say the Cubs, the Padres, the Mets are uh, are fooling themselves at this point. I'm going to confidently write them off. So I think they should try and maximize whatever assets they can sell off and do so. Yeah, OK, I'm, I'm not arguing any of that. OK, well, that makes for a clean finish here. You want me to argue Perfect. about an argument? for something? No, no, no. I don't want you to be inauthentic here. No, I don't want to do that. No. All right. Well, hey, the wheels are out now. We're going to land the plane. What do you have for us as we close the door on this episode? I'd like to see Taylor Swift in concert one day. Me and how many many other hundreds of millions of people? Is that the deal? I mean, the ship's passing you by here. (laughs) This was the summer to do it. We'll be the first ship. (laughs) No, it will not. I think Anthony Rizzo had the perfect line in his postgame press conference uh, yesterday. She is doing a wonderful job helping the economy this year. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, if that's any indication, yes, this will not be the last Taylor Swift tour by any stretch. All right. That's on your bucket list. Interesting. Very interesting. But you know the economics of this, of that tour? I mean, it must be amazing. Oh, yeah. The merchandise alone. Like, I never give that a thought. Concert merchandise, T-shirts. Yeah, I know there are mementos to have. But they go bonkers for Taylor Swift merchandise. And I believe a lot of it is for the, the purists. Like they're not they're not trying to sell this stuff on the secondary market. And, you know, there's a reason why, uh, you know, they're the T-shirts are 75, 80 bucks a pop, too. It's, it's you know, high quality. Uh, everyone, everyone wants to grab it. Interesting. Very interesting to me. When you say high quality, it's like, uh, is it the cotton make it certain different? That's or... what I'm hearing. Yeah. You know who got one? Uh, when the Yankees were in Colorado, Susan Waldman was gifted a t-shirt I saw on her, on her social media. And she was saying the material, you can understand why it's 75 bucks a pop for a t-shirt. So, uh, you know, Taylor Swift, not cutting corners here. When you go to a show, you're going to have to pick up a t-shirt. I, I, what, what a fun, what a fun. I mean, somebody was telling me about the, about the, when the Yankees were in Colorado. The, 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 she was playing at the same time, right? And, yeah. And the, and the concerts were sold out, and the traffic downtown was a nightmare because of, uh, or trying to navigate through downtown where the hotels are, where the Yankees stay and other teams stay, was a nightmare because everybody was in town to see Taylor Swift. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Taylor yeah. Swift 
is uh, the summer of 2023. She is the champion. We're not even halfway. We're not even, you know, reaching the, the finish line. We still have a month and change to go. She has won summer 2023 for sure. All right, John, one week away so. from the trade deadline. We have the Subway Series coming up. Big week for the Yankees ahead at the time we're recording this. They're six games above 500. Let's see where they are in a week when the decisions have to be made. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Curtain Call. Please subscribe to the podcast. That way you never miss the latest episode. And we will be with you right around the trade deadline, maybe immediately after or right before. We'll uh, we'll figure it out. And if you're subscribed, you'll know when. For John J. Filippelli, for our fantastic producer, Dan Busson, this is Justin Shackle. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Curtain Call podcast, a production of the Yes Network. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you.